Richard, Roxanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. You guys have got a fascinating, if not slightly graphic story behind your first social media video. We do, yes. Who's telling it? <laughs> Shall I? You can start, I'll finish. So I'll keep it brief because it is quite graphic. Um, Rox, as part of Rox's ADHD, she'll sometimes forget to plan for her period. So um, one night she told me that she was on her period. So I just asked her whether she was wearing a tampon because quite often she would forget that, um, which she replied yes. And then I said, is it a real tampon? Because sometimes she'd been known to use non-Tampax certified <laughs> products. AKA just like rolling my own sanitary products out of toilet roll or tissue. <laughs> um, so he said, is it a real tampon? I said, yes. And he was like, oh, well done. And I was actually going to sleep at this moment. And then my brain just went, that would make a really funny TikTok. Told him, he said, yeah, it would. would why don't we post it at the weekend? ADHD. And that was the birth so of it I, all. That was the birth of it all. And I said, let's post it now. So we woke up at about half 11 at night. Just to film. Registered ADHD love. It was the first thing that came to mind. Filmed that. And then that was the start of our now careers. So, yeah. I think like you, you, with your content, you make so many people with ADHD feel seen. And also, you also, I think, provide a tool for people with ADHD to show their loved ones what aspects of ADHD look like. Is that what you had in mind when you started it? No. <laughs> it really was just the tampon just, story. Yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. I think that has grown over time. We've done it for... Two years now, just, just two, years, two years. Stuck to something for two years, so <laughs> hello. Um, and then we really started to see that so often the comment was, I've sent this to my partner, I've sent this to a parent so they can understand. And we then got a lot of parents and partners following saying, thanks so much, this really helped me understand my mm. kid or my partner. So it's been a beautiful um, progression actually in that. I think as well we get... Um, we get stopped a lot by couples and we, we have a lot of tears, but also some of the things that we sort of have, have found out, I guess, through this whole journey is the, the self-esteem that those with ADHD have got, like, and quite often, and that's where the, the, you know, the partners or parents perspective is so important because they'll hear a lot of negative messages externally. So like, oh, you're lazy, can't you just concentrate and stuff? So we try. Probably not with the tampon one, um, but but certainly now our content tries to provide a bit of guidance as to how to talk to someone with ADHD. It's truly a remarkable, and I think for the reasons you've said, that's why it's grown so quickly and so big, so fast. You were diagnosed at 34 with ADHD? 36. 36. Yeah, I wish. I wish. Knock a couple of years off. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose... Could you explain for the listeners the, the chain of events that led to you wanting to seek assessment? I definitely took the long way round. Um, so a few things had to happen. I'm going to try and not make this a really long story. Tell me. If Good luck going with that. On. This, could, this could be a long one. Yeah. So I made a right hash of my life in my 20s. Alcoholism, in loads of debt, broken relationships, um, mental health struggles, self-harm, 
pretty much everything. I was collecting every issue like it was Pokemon cards. And eventually that got too much in 2018. And I walked into my first recovery meeting. And that was the, the start point. That was kind of rock bottom, the start point to getting better. Getting rid of alcohol. And I also um, stopped dating and went celibate for a while just to put myself on the bench and try and figure out what was wrong with me. Um, I'd been self-medicating lots of things with alcohol. So you mm. take the alcohol away. Actually, a lot of my symptoms got worse. This led to what I describe as a mental breakdown in early 2020, um, which was what led me to seek therapy. The first thing that came up in therapy was actually something called CPTSD, complex PTSD, um, which was a lot of trauma responses I was having, which was things like um, intense paranoia that people were trying to hurt me, really lack lack of awareness of, of self, self-hatred, really quite heavy things. Worked on this for a good year with an amazing therapist and just like made amazing progress. We were together, so I was experiencing this first kind of healthy relationship. Work was starting to go well. I was moving out of having a terrible credit rating. And I went to therapy one week and said, look, doc, everything's actually getting really good but I've noticed some weird things. I've gone the wrong way on the train three times this week. <laughs> I've lost two pairs of headphones. Something's going on. And she said, that sounds like it could be some attention deficit. That's the first time I'd heard of it. So I had a lot of weeds to clear to get back to ADHD. You've, you've clearly got a vast knowledge of ADHD now. Do, can you look back into your really early years and see ADHD showing up? A hundred percent. But I always saw those symptoms as personality flaws. Um, I always saw, saw myself as being a difficult kid, explosive kid, too sensitive. Um, and I think the, the shame of those things that I had internalized, I've carried with me my whole life internal shame becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy so if you think you're a bad person you are actually going to end up acting in bad ways to almost make that come true um and it's it's really quite sad when i look back at little me and kind of think oh man if you'd have known kids mm. all them wasted decades of just really sad really lost also hurting other people could have maybe been prevented when you got that diagnosis in that moment when you heard those words how did you feel well it was it was laughter and it was crying um joy and grief at the same time the joy was oh my god i'm not horrible i'm not broken i make sense i'm not lazy stupid all these horrendous things i'd believed about myself and had had reflected to me it was like the first um, doorway to perhaps self-kindness that I had never given myself. Mm. And then, yeah, just grief about um, all the lonely years, the like darkest nights where it had taken me that they perhaps didn't need to happen. However, that's what we do now full time. And it's, 
it's so wonderful because hopefully someone hears it earlier and they might recognise it in a child or as a teenager, even if they're older, it doesn't matter. Just to give them the kind of same lens that I was able to put on that, like, you're not broken. I think a lot of people will be listening to that feeling quite emotional. I think you've echoed the experience of so many people with what you just said. And Rich, when Roxanne got diagnosed, did you know much about ADHD? No, no, not at all. Nothing. I remember when she got diagnosed, or it was slightly before that, when she, when she thought that it might be ADHD. She obviously went on the, the typical ADHD way and <laughs> hyper-focused on everything she possibly could, every self-help book, every podcast, every... And it was actually a, a TikTok creator called Connor DeWolf, actually. He's, he's quite massive. And I remember her, like, sending. All of a sudden, it was like notification, notification, notification. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Like, this is me, this is me, this is me. But, but I remember some really strong emotions um, from rocks and actually from our relationship, it was, it was quite huge because you know, my story is, is definitely not as deep as Rox's. But when we first got together, um, there were some of the behaviours that through my 35 years or 34 years of, of existence would translate her behavior to she doesn't care or like if she says she's going to meet at this time and is late or messes up the flat after i've tidied up or says one thing and then does another or forgets that i exist and doesn't take so all of that sort of stuff you think oh this person isn't really interested but actually it was through through the diagnosis and and the subsequent learning that we we've been able to find a relationship that you know, I can probably comfortably say is happier than we ever thought was, was possible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Really? We were chatting before we started filming. We we're saying the statistics of relationships, the outcomes when there's ADHD in the mix, but it perhaps isn't understood or it isn't managed or it isn't spoken about, are pretty dire. Um, but when you ha have an understanding of ADHD and, and, you, and you recognize it and you s communicate together, the outcomes are actually really good. Do you think how, you see, the understanding of ADHD is, is, is paramount to, to having a successful relationship with it when ADHD is involved? We say quite brutally that we probably wouldn't be together had we not known. Because 
those behaviours, um, I can take one in particular, when I was late for your birthday meal. Uh, I thought it was going to be the anniversary that you forgot, but let's, <laughs> let's go with birthday. <laughs> so I'd booked him a birthday meal in this attempt, because I had forgotten the previous anniversary, in this attempt to redeem myself and show that I could do it. So I'd booked his favourite restaurant. Um, I was working in London that day, so I was I was getting the train down to meet him. Catalogue of ADHD errors, getting on the wrong tube, so missed 10 minutes, running through London, Victoria, just not able to, to see the signs, end up missing the train. So I'm having a panic attack, thinking I've messed up again on his birthday. What kind of horrible person does that? having to ring him to say I'm late. And you remember like at dinner, I then ruined dinner because I was like having panic attacks being like, you're going to break up with me. You hate me. I'm so sorry. Like the self-hatred I would feel when I messed up, I didn't have language to explain. And I knew that I was upsetting you and you didn't, you just had this person promising to do better and then messing up again. It must've been so frustrating. Yeah, the, the thing is, though, is, of course, understanding that it's ADHD will only help to, to a degree. So um, it, it, there's that. Mm. But from the neurotypical or, or the, the other person's side, it still takes a tremendous amount of work because we're human still. So some of the things that aren't Rox's fault at all will still create sort of or activate me emotionally whether it be frustration or, or whatever and and I think it's it's those moments that I personally have had to work on for the last two or three years of being able to be really calm and being able to communicate in a calm way express how it's made me feel but also acknowledge that I know it's not your fault so it's not a so it's because it then becomes something that you can work on together rather than me against mm. rocks. It's sort of both of us against sometimes some quite frustrating ADHD sort of symptoms. Not just frustrating for me, but obviously rocks as well. <laughs> it sounds like you really accepted ADHD in, in the relationship and that understanding is helping so much. When you got diagnosed, did your, was there acceptance within your family? Oh, you went there. Probably going to get upset, but it's fine. Um, we can... No, it's fine. It's all good. I think it's important. She loves a cry, don't I worry. do. I love so, a cry. Like... That's what three years of therapy does. teaches you to cry. <laughs> a very expensive lesson in crying. Um, I had hoped that it might... And it's a bit silly, really, because... Um, my mum's not here anymore, so it's just my dad and my stepmom. And I remember feeling kind of excited to tell them. The reason it's silly is because we've never spoken about emotions. We don't speak about difficult things. Um, so it was barking up the wrong tree. I was going somewhere for validation where it's never been. I don't know why I thought, idiot, like, it's official. <laughs> you can't not like me for these things. Um, and I remember they were visiting us 
in our in our new house. And I just like dropped it really awkward. I was like, I've got some news. I've got ADHD. My dad just looked away, um, never said anything about it. And my stepmom said, that's because you were coddled when you were younger. And that was it. Uh, yeah. It's quite a tough you one. take over. Cause... Should I take over? Yeah. Um, obviously quite an emotive topic and actually replicated quite a lot on on online mm. from negative comments around whether that be it's not real or it's fake or is you using it as an excuse and it was very much a uh, Rox's dad was a school teacher in his profession and he always had this view that it was just the naughty kids you know <laughs> and, and so not his fault he was born in the 50s yeah so didn't have it and my dad we giggle because my dad uh he has special interests. He's in, definitely, yeah, he's definitely in, on the spectrum. Special interests in like nature photographer. He, photography, he sets up a little camera every night to capture the garden. He goes on a bike ride every morning at 8 a.m. He has a cup of tea at night. He will not change his routine. So he definitely has some symptoms of neurodivergence. I don't want to try and diagnose somebody else. He hasn't made that decision. But I can definitely see that within him. And I sometimes wonder... You know, it's just the older generation. They never received any mental health help at all. It's a relatively new thing. And I sometimes wonder if it might just feel a bit annoying. Um, people trying to understand themselves and get support. Well, we didn't have that. I can really see, taking a lot of therapy, I can really see why they may not want to see me as somebody with a condition. Mm. 100% I can relate to it so much and I think lots of people can that you you rely on people close to you to be a sounding board and to really listen and especially with something like this but the generational divide really lacks that understanding bridge so many people of the older generation I still I still think look at ADHD as something that is is not real or is not that they don't give it that validation and it sounds like that's an echo of your experience with with your dad absolutely I think the positive side of it is I'm sure that's part of the reason why we do what we do and in particular the stories that we chose to kind of tell in our book were very personal and they were quite mm. emotional I think that's because like I felt the pain of being so deeply understood misunderstood sorry for so long it's kind of wanting to to be understood by others and them also be understood so kind of has a nice ending like to put it that way anyway i think as well you know we, we we've touched on family but just going back to one of my earlier points is if everybody was if say we could click our fingers and everybody was really accepting then i don't <laughs> think we would have <laughs> don't think we would have the issues that we do, you know, so mm. part of our, if I, I'll probably mention our next, but that isn't out until next year, but that's about just how low the self-esteem and confidence is of the ADHD community that like we did a poll around what they think of themselves. And actually it's, it's, it was brutal. It was like, you know, I'm faking it. I'm just lazy. It's like I'm just worthless. That that's not just come within them. That's come from, everybody else family and, and and society and it 
And that's what, I think that's probably what drives us to do what we do and create the community that we've created. Rich is talking about this poll that we did mm. on our, just on Instagram. What's your core beliefs about yourself? Just opened up the question. And it, it was like, I was crying, obviously. Just <laughs> <laughs> this list. I'm broken. I'm lazy. I don't deserve love. I quit everything. I start. And it's so easy to look at ADHD and kind of look at the DSM. Do you have problems with time? And are you a bit disorganized? Do you lose things? To look at those and almost go, well, oh, it's, it's not that bad. But when you look at someone that has lived with those symptoms for a very long time and what the world has reflected back to them and what their core beliefs are now telling them, it's actually pretty urgent that we talk about it and we start to understand it because it can destroy people's chance of happiness and reaching and kind of self-actualization and finding love and going after their dreams. It can destroy it because you'll think that you're not worthy or that you're going to ruin it. So it's really important to talk about those things. Absolutely. There's so many aspects of society now that just aren't catered to support neurodiversity. And the skills that I think neurodiversity bring, if you go back in time to when humans were in tribes, you know, we would be the hunter-gatherers. We would be the people who were stoking the fire. We would be the ones who were watching over the camp for predators. But you put those types of people now in an office and expect them to stare at a screen nine to five or, or do other mundane tasks that aren't tapping into that that intuitive hunter mind then of course we're going to struggle in certain situations i think if you can allow children and, and adults with adhd and other conditions to to see that they're 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 living with a difference and not a disorder i think that's so empowering i, I think you're you're so right and, and it's something that in the last couple of weeks it's really been on my mind specifically for the corporate environment because obviously me and rocks are fortunate and privileged enough to to do the job that we do and create videos and and you haven't really got a, a boss so to speak but you know i was i worked in a bank for 20 years and i think about the just the setup that we have um and you know even the banking hall we had 10 desks all next to each other in a busy banking hall that would have been a sensory nightmare there's just things that just aren't catered for you guys have spoken very candidly in the past about your addictions and you've been sober for five years and rich three. How does life compare now to when you were drinking? Um, it's a lot harder, you know? It's a lot harder because you have to feel everything. You have to witness everything. The pain of the past is right here. You are called to look at your own behavior and take accountability and responsibility but hard choices make beautiful lives really really truly believe that so that choice not to drink for me also not to do drugs rich has his own own version of this um although it was a hard choice it transformed my life i mean like a 180 five years ago i was on my 10th broken relationship forty thousand pounds in debt I couldn't afford £300 a month to stay in a spare room. In my 30s, someone that as a kid was like a gifted kid, like the shame that comes with just failing over and over again. Um, 
just absolute self-hatred, a true belief that I was like worthless. And I walked into a meeting and um, I remember one of the first things I heard was, if you get sober, you can live a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I remember thinking, not me. Cool for you guys. It's too late for me because my dream at that point was to be a musician and I'd kind of squandered many an opportunity to do that. Five years later, I'm not only am I a musician and I'm touring and releasing music, like that ultimate dream has come back mm. to life. It's there's things I never dreamed of. I never dreamed up somebody like this. I couldn't have imagined someone so wonderful and kind. I didn't know they existed. <laughs> so like him and then my stepkids, Lillian Sear, it, it's, it is, it's beyond my wildest dreams. So sobriety, although a hard choice, has given just the most wonderful life. I am lucky number 11 in the, <laughs> the age old saying, lucky number 11 in relationships. Mine's a little bit different. I've, I was only had two relationships or rip proper relationships before rocks, both, both marriages as well so both of them for seven years and then and then that and then that sort of disappeared and then we, we, i met rocks but actually the the addiction so alcoholism and also um i had a gambling addiction and it's really funny about people's perceptions of of addictions and alcohol is a really easy one to speak of so i wasn't waking up at two o'clock in the morning and drinking vodka or anything like that but i needed alcohol every day as soon as i got back from work just to calm my nervous system and it was you know that was helping me calm down and 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 regulate myself I suppose but the 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 addiction that really took me to the depths of low was my gambling addiction mm. um and I, you know I would always have considered myself fairly intelligent fairly disciplined you know was a dad at 18 was a provider sensible but I was that took me to places where I completely lost control so I was spinning slot machines with money that I didn't have using credit cards to fund it and stuff like that and and I was doing it whilst driving just some of the behavior that 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 I had so much shame around actually and it wasn't until my first Gamblers Anonymous meeting that I just cried for about 10 minutes solid like you know that uncontrollable crying as well like never never experienced it before um and then, yeah, it, 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 that was the start point for me. But I completely agree. It was a lot harder. But all of a sudden, I had to feel all of these emotions. And that's when I started therapy. And that was to sort of unpack some childhood sexual abuse that I'd gone through. And so it, it all started. I started to make sense of, of me. Um, but yeah, a lot harder, but a million times better. So they, they say that, you know, being hard isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Thank you both for sharing that so openly. I mean, it's, there's such a such a link between ADHD and addiction. I know you're not ADHD rich, but I've spoken to so many people on this podcast, and you just see it. The link. It's like they're chasing dopamine in unhealthy places, and then that poor impulse control makes it hard to moderate. Um, so to hear someone like yourself be so open about it, I think will really, really help. Um, people that might be listening who who relate to that struggle um how's your mental health now Roxanne I think it's pretty good 
but good I didn't know what good looked like mm. so um for example when I first went to therapy I thought I'm going to fix these particular problems so I can be normal I thought good was calm all the time um maybe pretty stoic successful and what I've realized is that's totally not what good mental health is and good mental health is the ability to still feel anxious and depressed and even low self-esteem but to tolerate it with new skills mm. so I'm still as messed up as I was five years ago I just have way better ways of coping with it a much better support system not turning to alcohol turning to funny little breathing techniques or <laughs> talking to you. So I'm very, I'm trying to not say like too emotional, but I'm very emotional and very sensitive. And actually it's, it's allowing that to be part of who I am and that not to be shamed. Mm -hmm. A lot of days I'm very happy. A lot of days I still feel a lot of sadness, but the ability to feel both of those things and hold them without losing myself, I think is the sign that things are a bit better for me now. It's, it's so fascinating because I think we both fell into the trap of, of when we started therapy, thinking it was like a video game. And like, <laughs> you've, you've done therapy now, I've completed the game, I'm fine, like put the console oh, away, dear. like all good. And, it, and we both stopped therapy for a while and now we're both back in therapy. And it's, and it's that just realisation that it's not like, you know, your your health in regards to is you know, some of the physical things. It's probably a lifelong lifelong thing it's to lifelong. work on your mental health. It's yeah. lifelong and what a wonderful thing um to work on forever, especially in a parent capacity. Because, you know, for example, if you think of Rich's kids mm. watching a father become sober, go to therapy, start speaking to them in different ways, um, start being able to show more emotional intimacy or vulnerability or setting boundaries, like all this healthy stuff that we get to model now. It's just, it's an amazing privilege when you start on that journey of like self-recovery. It's amazing. It's, it's relatable. I've, I've been in the rooms before. Um, to, to have that moment where you could, you realize there was another way to deal with that anxiety and that racing mind. And you mentioned to, to slow down your nervous system, um, completely relate to that. And actually it is so freeing to actually just accept that you are human. You're still going to get that anxiety. You're still going to feel low sometimes, but actually there's other ways to deal with it rather than reaching for the bottle or the, the, the slot machines or whatever your vice is. It's hugely powerful. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a really interesting part. We're going to try a new segment to the show. It's called the Washing Machine of Woes. And it's washing, ins- machine of woes. washing Machine Love of it. Woes. And it's inspired by a great American author called Regina Brett, who said, if we all throw our problems in a pile and saw everyone else's, we'd grab ours back. So I asked my ADHD chatter community to share with us their ADHD problems. But instead of throwing them on a pile, we thought we'd throw them in a washing machine because a washing machine is quite symbolic of, it's, it's <laughs> of the ADHD chatter is, problem, which is forgetfulness. Yes. Many of us leave our washing in, in, in the This uh, is a reminder machine. for listeners exactly. to go yeah, and yeah. get your wet Everyone laundry. now jumping up and running downstairs <laughs> to their washing machine. <laughs> um, so I'll reach in. I'll put out a, 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 a woe from okay. the washing machine and I'll read it to my guest and see if there's relatability with the idea that it might make people feel that their problems aren't as bad as they think. I've got ADHD, which means I'm really good at masking my emotions. On the outside, I can look bubbly, cheerful, and it seems like nothing bothers me. But on the inside, I'm anxious and my brain never shuts up. Do you relate to that? A hundred percent. Me too. A hundred percent. And masking is such an interesting topic. It's one I have overthought. <laughs> I overthink everything, actually. Um, but I've overthought it so much to the point where well, we all need a mask, right? Because mm. I have to mask a bit if I'm going to go to Tesco's or exist in this world or have conversations with anyone. We all need an element of a mask. But with the ADHD mask, what this person has has hit on, and it's so real, is the internal chaos covered by the external facade of happiness. And my whole life, I was the most bubbly person in the room, super loud, super outgoing, first to the bar for a drink, last to leave, Um, maybe bordering on a little bit chaotic there at times, Nobody would have known that that internally I was super anxious, depressed, self-hating, all these horrible things. And even in sobriety, even with wonderful partner, we've both done therapy, unmasking that, showing what's really going on inside has been so difficult. And the one thing I like to say to people is unmasking begins in safe places Mm. so you don't have to try and just go and be yourself every day at work that's that's a little too much let's just try in the space where you're safe hopefully that's home if not perhaps it's with a friend or it's with a therapist and it's just beginning to tell the truth so very often (laughs) with rich he would ask me are you okay and i'd be sat there like this are you okay i'm fine (laughs) obviously crippled by anxiety but I didn't know how to say I'm falling apart because there wasn't a reason and gradually over the years I start to answer those questions with no I'm not okay sometimes I don't even know why and then very often once I vocalize it that might come with tears and and that's where you start in safe places what what's your thought on well I think quite often if I reflect on you know being an observer of you 
that the masking thing I think quite often is coupled with RSD. So like the reason that people pleaser or or whatever or saying yes to everyone or being that that fun person is a bit of fear probably that comes to what externally people will will mm. think because it's not always you know rocks is absolutely right in that it starts with safe people but actually sometimes it it might just stay with safe people because a, a true vulnerability it's, it's quite a scary thing to show that to everybody that you meet. Like, mm. it's not always going to be accepted and... I've just cried on a podcast. Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's... Unmasking, baby. That's very true. But I think, you know, that that definitely, I think, will play a part because people will will so be so worried about what others will think of them that they force mm. themselves to mask. 100%. You must be the most likeable person in the room mm. and for some reason we think that struggling makes us not likable but it's so funny it's the other way around it's so interesting what you said roxanne about it's actually just a human part of existence is masking i don't think it's an exclusive thing to neurodiversity i think most people probably do mask subconsciously or, or consciously some people more so than others like sometimes you might just feel that you're in a not very good mood, but you feel like if you don't smile in that particular occasion, then you might just come across as off. And then you'll be anxious about the feeling of coming across off. So you put on a smile, you come home at the end of the day with an aching jaw. Um, and that's masking, I suppose. Do you, Rich, do you relate to the concept of masking? Hugely. So I think um, my background of working in the bank, I was a manager. I had 50 people work for me. Um, my whole corporate existence was was masking mm. i wasn't i didn't always feel like being a leader or always feel like being positive or I, I you know i didn't feel like delivering messages in the way that the corporate environment corporate environment had you know um I, I needed to so yeah i i i hugely relate to that and actually since leaving work I'm completely different, I think, this year than, than I was for 20 years. I was just on a treadmill, just doing all of the things that I'd trained to do for, mm. for 20 years. And now I'm, yeah, I'm really different. I think it's quite awesome that all these tools we find to help people with neurodivergence kind of can help everyone. The unmasking, it's just such a wonderful thought exercise. Where am I? pretending to be something I'm not and is, is that something I'm happy with or not I always think um some of my early jobs I've had a million obviously but were in retail well you know it's quite famous that if you work in retail you don't really like the customer they can be a bit annoying sorry <laughs> um but you you must mask because it's part of the job so it's really interesting to just start to notice where it's coming in and why what a wonderful question Keen to talk about your book. Super exciting. Um, you had a first, your first book, huge success, Dirty Laundry. How did that happen? Oh, gosh. We were in the car driving to see your brother, and we were probably a year into content creation. And it kind of it had gone from the, the tampon story to something that we realized was providing some value to people. And we wanted to do more. We wanted to do something more. And I think the question, we were listening to a podcast actually, 
with Hank Green. And he said something very interesting, which is in the most simple question, what would help your audience the most? And our answer was, we'd love to talk to them for longer because 20 second TikToks are amazing, but there's so much more kind of depth and complexity mm. to how we figured out how to live quite happily with ADHD. Um, so I think we decided in the car, wrote the first chapters in notes, and then began the very interesting journey of writing a book when you have ADHD. It was such an amazing experience, actually. And I remember it's probably one of those moments in life that I'll remember forever. I remember being in the car. I remember what the road looked like. And I remember us agreeing, actually, yeah, let's let's do this. Let's write a book. And then I think it was a mixture of Rox's creativity and my structure that actually led to a completed manuscript rather than a half done Oh, I wouldn't have written Manuscript. a book. Not a chance. <laughs> he has like a writing, a writing schedule and all these imposed deadlines. And they weren't real because we had decided them. But even that, like a fake deadline, was enough yeah, yeah. to kind of drag me into the office, <laughs> sit down and type. Wonderful. I've seen so many, so many comments on your posts in response to your book saying how it's helped, how it's changed, saved lives how it's given so much color and context to people that have ADHD and how it's given so many people an understanding. How do you feel when you see so many comments like that in response to your work? Just like utterly grateful and a bit shocked. Um, of course, there's the kind of ADHD mad idea, let's write a book. And then there's the crippling RSD, oh, very human. Oh my God, what if it's awful? And perhaps even more the shame of who are we? Who are we to write a book? Who am I? This like grand loser in life. Who wants to hear from me? Um, so to have it resonate. And I think the thing about the book, we didn't want to write another book sort of about ADHD that was clinical or descriptive. They exist. There's loads of them. They're brilliant. Um, I think you've had, is it Leanne? on the podcast brilliant um so for us it was the messy human real life um so to see that resonate it's just it's just wonderful it's just so wonderful feel so grateful i think for me as well like the, the people that stop us when we're when we're walking um and start engaging with us we're seeing a shift from oh my God, I know you from TikTok to, oh my God, I've read your book, mm. which is quite an amazing feeling and it's probably given us the confidence to write the next one. Yeah, definitely inspired by the people that we meet and what they say and your words just mean so much that it's given kind of context and colour. Mm. That's really what we wanted to do. This is what it can really look like in everyday life and people have said it's changed or saved their life. And what a thing to be able to do. I saw the um, amazing picture where you guys went to the supermarket to find the Sunday Times newspaper and you saw your book on the bestseller list. In those moments, do you feel imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah. I feel it every day. <laughs> I feel it right now. Um, but of course, gradually, the work of therapy, wonderful relationships, 
there are moments of joy. There's moments of, oh my gosh, we've done this. You must feel it with how successful this podcast has become so quick. It's like equal parts amazing and pride and then, oh, yeah, who am I to be who am I? being a first spokesperson for ADHD? I've done so much work on imposter syndrome. Um, as, as a singer, I really, I felt it for two decades. And I remember this one thing that really helped me. It was um, a book by a guy called Seth Godin. He writes a lot about creativity and marketing talks about imposter syndrome and he said everybody's an imposter mm, yeah. nobody's born a formula one driver and um, a best-selling author a podcast host somebody just has the bravery to step up and do it we're all imposters and that really changed the game for me i think relating to your question though around the, the sunday times list i still and I, I said this to rocks a couple of weeks ago i'm still more proud of and what gives me more confidence is people's comments and like the rating and the reviews of the book because mm. actually you know in week one i guess if you're if, if 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 you've got a big following you can get into that list but they haven't necessarily read the book yet they've just a lot of people have bought it mm. so it's actually the it could be the reviews <laughs> and the people that said yeah. that they've had so much value from it and that they've bought loads of copies and given it to all the, their family members so they understand it was that that was like Wow, that's something to be incredibly proud of. And your next book, um, is there much you can tell us about that? Yes. So it's called Small Talk. Small Talk, love it. Yeah. <laughs> what neurodivergent people hate. Yeah, yes. Um, but it's kind of a play on how we can talk down to ourselves internally. Rich mentioned it earlier. It comes from this poll we did where we asked people their core beliefs. And when we read those... It was just, it was a real shock moment to see how much self-hatred, low self-esteem, self-doubt there was within the ADHD community and realized that's what we needed to address. So it's essentially the 10 horrible self-beliefs that we can often carry and what we can do to work through them. So chapters like I am lazy and everybody hates me. And I kind of work through that from childhood to adulthood, mm. where those beliefs came from, the negative impacts and how to start shifting. And then Rich talks about, you know, almost supporting somebody through that journey and what he's witnessed when those beliefs start shifting. Um, so it's very much like I relate so much to buying every book available and every podcast to try and fix myself. It's very much not a fixing book. It's very much a, you're not actually broken. And it's that, it's that that we need to learn because that's what changes mm. life. I've, I've got to tell them how we got here though. Oh, no. So like this is, this like encapsulates ADHD. So obviously we were contractually obliged to write a, another book from uh, Penguin signed a, a two book deal. So we were halfway through writing the second book, which was called Late Bloomers. Um, and it was all about, it was a very much a, a lot more positive about how to succeed and, and a bit more of our story and mm. stuff. And it was through this poll, it was actually to help write one of the chapters of Late Bloomers. And because it was 
so vast and it was, I don't know, five or 10,000 respondents and it was all this. Rox then decided that the book that we were halfway through writing a month and a half before the delivery date of the new manuscript was due, she decided to like throw that away and wanted to start a new book. So that was such an interesting call that we had with our publisher to say, I know that this is what we said we were going to do, but we're actually don't want to do any of this now. I mean, want to start afresh. It was very ADHD, the whole experience. <laughs> I love that. And if people, if people want to pre-order the new book, is that possible yet? Or... Yeah, I believe it is actually, we haven't got a cover or anything like that. We're still working through the million options, <laughs> but I think it is on Amazon um, for pre-order as just small talk. Amazing. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Thank you so um, much. Just to close, what do you say to people who say ADHD is just a trend? Um, I guess my first thing would be why, why are you invested in it not being real? And to wonder whether there's something within their lives. Have you had to struggle with these things alone? Because to be so invested in tearing something down that's helping people must be touching on something mm. in you. They probably won't tell me that. But after that, I would then just say, you know, in the same way we've had left-handedness when that used to be beaten out of people in schools. Mm. And then when it wasn't anymore, we saw a graph. Oh, oh my God, it's a trend. It's a trend. They're all becoming left-handed. Well, no, it's because we're not beating it out of people anymore. And there's a lot more awareness that you can actually be left-handed mm. and be okay. We just have more awareness of it. And it's a wonderful thing that adults aren't walking around living with an internal script that they're broken, they're a problem, they're a loser, they're lazy. I can testament, I can be a testament to when you find out, you can actually become a really valuable part of your family and in your wider community. Mm. Why would we want to deny anybody that and call it a trend? I think as well, and I'll, I'll try and stay you know, correct in, in the way that I answer this. Um, but those that would say it, I suppose everybody's got their right to believe whatever they want to believe, but certainly on our platforms and in our community, if they want to go out of their way to verbalize it, we've got no real interest in, in engaging with them. I think it's, it's more from a reaction. So actually for our community and, and those that would feel invalidated from comments like it's just an excuse you're making it up blah 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 we just simply block and delete them mm. to make sure that the actual platforms are a safe space for people mm. to and it's and it's so lovely actually like yeah they get they get comfort that they're they feel seen from our videos but actually when you see them talk to each other in the comments it's a real sense of mm. of a family and community so we've got no interest in engaging with anyone they can mm. there's probably forums for it I'm not interested. They can go and find them, I guess. No, no, that's perfect. Some people, a lot of people actually with ADHD, when they were younger, they get they were told perhaps that they were too much or too intense. I think you alluded to that earlier. So what, what would you say to people who say that people with ADHD are too much? Just say that people are different and maybe they're too much or too sensitive in comparison to you but that doesn't mean that they're broken or wrong. There's such a diverse 
um, amount of people and brains and, and ways of being. And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. We need diverse people in families, on teams, back to you saying in the hunter-gatherer days, mm. we exist within community. So to shame somebody for being different, I feel it's pretty short-sighted. Mm. Um, and I think it's a shame. But I also can understand as the world is changing and we're always constantly learning new things, can be difficult for people to adapt. So I also don't want to shame them back. I don't think that's the right way to do it. I, yeah, I think neurodivergent or not, like humans can be too, I'm quite introverted. So like when I spend too much time with too many humans, I'm like, no, thank you. I'll, <laughs> I'll sit in a dark room. But I just, I think that the, the key thing is, is that there's just no need for shame. That like people can go, I can go home and listen to a podcast or watch a program. I don't need to, I don't need to shame or insult somebody because of what, what my needs are. Mm. Amazing. And just finally, it'd be interesting to ask an ADHD and a non-ADHD what your most impulsive thing you've ever done is. Oh, God. <laughs> so these days I have protection against the most impulsive. So I still try and do things, but you will often just put the brakes on. So there it's going to be wrap around you. a little bit of bubble wrap, <laughs> which is really good. So it's going to be... Oh my God, it's, it's truly awful, actually. It's truly awful, but I'm going to share it. Oh no, what are you going to share? The money, the house money story. Oh, right, okay. Because why not? Because obviously, like, I've got loads of tattoos, I've had a million jobs, a million partners. That's all impulsive. But not this... a million, ten. Ten, sorry. <laughs> Lucky number 11, and remember. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, somebody that I knew years and years ago basically asked me to invest in this business. He was like building houses and um, had off-plan houses and sold it to me as, you know, this get-rich-quick scheme and you buy this off-plan house. Um, somebody that I knew from my work life and I had <clears throat> an amount of money, that um, a large amount of money that had been um, given to me, long story, but my mum had died through medical negligence with the NHS and we'd won a, a lawsuit basically. So I had this amount of money and I thought that sounds great. And I had some advice um, to speak to lawyers and I didn't do it because it was impulsive. And this person was saying, this is the best thing ever. And I trusted him. So I transferred over a hundred thousand pounds to somebody with no legal paperwork nothing to protect me and it ended up being a scam and I lost that money still something today that I'm speaking about in therapy and carry so much shame for because of where that money had come from so that was one of my horror show moments where my god I needed the brakes put on and I needed to to slow down but I didn't mine's a lot more fun than that good thank god um mine quite simply is I left a 20-year career where I became, I was quite a senior bank manager to become an author and a content creator. Like I, I smile when I say the words and I still don't know what to say to people when they say, what do you do for a living? Because I'm TikTok. so used to, yeah, like I don't, can I, what I'm influenced, I don't know. It oh. just sounds a bit cringe. So I don't, I don't, I don't know, but that is, that is the most impulsive thing by a mile. Mm. 
best-selling author. It doesn't sound yeah, cringe. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds impressive. Claim it. <laughs> yeah, sounds a bit arrogant though. That maybe just. Yeah, I'm a best-selling author. What do, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. This has been fascinating, Richard Roxanne. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us and everything you do. 